Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Children of Dune Chapter 5 On this morning, Alia took her pre-breakfast walk through the keep's roof garden. In a new attempt to win the inner battle, she tried to hold her entire awareness within Choda's admonition to the Zinzuni. Leave the ladder. One may fall upward. But morning slow along the cliffs of the shield wall kept distracting her. Plantings of resilient fuzz grass filled the garden's pathways. When she looked away from the shield wall, she saw dew on the grass, the catch of all the moisture which she passed here in the night, reflected her own passage as of a multitude. That multitude made her giddy. Each reflection carried the imprint of a face from the inner multitude. She tried to focus her mind on what the brass implied. The presence of plentiful dew told her how far the ecological transformation had progressed on Arrakis. The climate of these northern latitudes was growing warmer. Atmospheric carbon dioxide was on the increase. She reminded herself how many new hectares would be put under green plants in the coming year. It required 37,000 cubic feet of water to irrigate just one hectare. Despite every attempt at mundane thoughts, she could not drive away the shark-like circling of all those others within her. She put her hands to her forehead and pressed. Her temple guards had brought her prisoner to judge at sunset the previous day, one Asas Paymon, a dark little man ostensibly in the pay of a house miner, the Nibiros, who traded in holy artifacts and small manufactured items for decoration Actually, Pemon was known to be a Shom spy whose task was to assess the yearly spice crop. Alia had been on the point of sending him into the dungeons when he had protested loudly the injustice of the Atreides. That could have brought him an immediate sentence of death on the hanging tripod. But Alia had been caught by his boldness She'd spoken sternly from her throne of judgment, trying to frighten him into revealing more than he'd already told her inquisitors. Why are our spice crops of such interest to the combined One? She demanded. Tell us, and we may spare you. I only collected something for which there is a market, Paimon said. I know nothing of what is done with my harvest. And for this petty profit, you interfere with our royal plans, Aaliyah demanded, 
royalty never considers that we might have plans too. He countered. Allia, captivated by his desperate audacity, said, Assess Paimon, will you work for me? At this, a grin whitened his dark face, and he said, You were about to obliterate me without a qualm. What is my new value that you should suddenly make a market for it? You have a simple and practical value, she said. You're bold, and you're for hire to the highest bidder. I can bid higher than any other in the Empire. At which... He named a remarkable sum, which he required for his services, but Alia laughed, encountered with a figure she considered more reasonable, and undoubtedly far more than he'd ever before received. She added, And of course, I throw in the gift of your life upon which I presume you place an even more inordinate value. A bargain! Payman cried, and at a signal from Alia, was led away by her priestly master of appointments, Zyrenko Javid. Less than an hour later, as Alia prepared to leave the judgment hall, Javid came hurrying to report that Paimon had been overheard to mutter fateful lines from the Orange Catholic Bible. Maleficos non pacieris viver. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Alia translated. So that was his gratitude. He was one of those who plotted against her very life. In a flush of rage, such as she never before experienced, she ordered Paimon's immediate execution, sending his body to the temple death still, where his water, at least, be of some value in the priestly coffers. And all night long, Payman's dark face haunted her. She tried all of her tricks against this persistent, accusing image, reciting the bougie from the Fremen book of Kraos. Nothing occurs. Nothing occurs. But Payman took her through a wearing night into this giddy new day where she could see that his face had joined those in the jeweled reflections from the dew. A female guard called her to breakfast from the roof door behind a low hedge of mimosa. Alia sighed. She felt small choice between hells. The outcry within her mind or the outcry from her attendants. All were pointless voices but persistent in their demands. Hourglass noises she would like to silence with the edge of a knife. Ignoring the guard, Alia stared across the roof garden toward the shield wall. Avahada had left its broad outwash like a detrital fan upon the sheltered floor of her domain. The delta of sand spread out before her gaze, outlined by the morning sun. It came to her that an uninitiated eye might see that broad fan 
was evidence of a river's flow, but it was no more than the place where her brother had shattered the shield wall with the Atreides family atomics, opening a path from the desert for the sandworms, which had carried his Fremen troops to shocking victory over his imperial predecessor, Shaddam IV. Now a broad quanet flowed with water on the shield wall's far side to block off sandworm intrusions. Sandworms would not cross open water. It poisoned them. Oh, that I had such a barrier within my mind, she thought. The thought increased her giddy sensation of being separated from reality. Sandworms. Sandworms. Her memory presented a collection of sandworm images, mighty shy halud. The demiurge of the Fremen, deadly beast of the desert's depths, whose outpourings included the priceless spice. How odd it was, this sandworm, to grow from a flat and leathery sand trout, she thought. They were like the flocking multitude within her awareness. The sand trout, when linked edge to edge against the planet's bedrock, formed living cisterns. They held back the water that their sandworm vector might live. Alia could feel the analogy. Some of those others within her mind held back dangerous forces which could destroy her. Again, the guard called her to breakfast, a note of impatience apparent. Angrily, Alia turned, waved a dismissal signal. The guard obeyed, but the roof door slammed. At the sound of the slamming door, Alia felt herself caught by everything she had attempted to deny. The other lives welled up within her like a hideous tide, each demanding life pressed its face against her vision centers, a cloud of faces. Some presented mange-spotted skin, other were callous and full of sooty shadows. There were mouths like moist lozenges. The pressure of the swarm washed over her in a current which demanded that she float free and plunge into them. No, she whispered. No, no, no. She would have collapsed onto the path, but for a bench beside her, which accepted her sagging body. She tried to sit, could not, stretched out on the cold plasteel, still whispering denial. The tide continued to rise within her. She felt attuned the slightest show of attention, aware of the risk, but alert for every exclamation from those guarded mouths which clambered within her. They were a cacophony of demand for her attention. Me, me, oh me. And she knew that if she once gave her attention, gave it completely, she would be lost. To behold one face out of the multitude and follow the voice of that face would be to be held by the egocentrism 
which shared her existence. Prescience does this to you, a voice whispered. She covered her ears with her hands, thinking, I'm not prescient. The trance doesn't work for me. But the voice persisted. It might work if you had help. No. No. She whispered. Other voices moved around her mind. I, Agamemnon, your ancestor, demand audience. No. No. She pressed her hands against her ears till the flesh answered her with pain. An insane cackle within her head asked, <laughs> What has become of Ovid? Simple. He's John Bartlett's Ibid. The names were meaningless in her extremity. She wanted to scream against them and against all the other voices but could not find her own voice. Her guard, sent back to the roof by senior attendants, peered once more from the doorway behind the mimosa, saw Alia on the bench, spoke to a companion. Ah, she is resting. You noted that she didn't sleep well last night. It is good for her to take the Zaha, the morning siesta. Alia did not hear her guard. Her awareness was caught by shrieks of singing. Merry old birds are we, hurrah. The voices echoed against the inside of her skull, and she thought, I'm going insane. I am losing my mind. Her feet made feeble fleeing motions against the bench. She felt that if she could only command her body to run, she might escape. She had to escape lest any part of that inner tide sweep her into silence, forever contaminating her soul. But her body would not obey. The mightiest forces in the imperial universe would obey her slightest whim, but her body would not. An inner voice chuckled then, <laughs> from one viewpoint, child. Each incident of creation represents a catastrophe. It was a basso voice, which rumbled against her eyes, and again, a chuckle, as though deriding its own pontification. <laughs> My dear child, I will help you, but you must help me in return. Against the swelling background clamor, behind that basso voice, Alia spoke through chattering teeth. Who? Who? A face formed itself upon her awareness. It was a smiling face of such fatness that it could have been a baby's, except for the glittering eagerness of the eyes. She tried to pull back, but achieved only a longer view, which included the body attached to the face. The body was grossly, immensely fat, clothed in a robe which revealed by subtle bulges beneath it that this fat 
had required the support of portable suspensors. You see, the basso voice rumbled. It is only your maternal grandfather. You know me. I was the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. You're... you're dead, she gasped. But of course, my dear. Most of us within you are dead. But none of the others are really willing to help you. They don't understand you. Go away, she pleaded. Oh, please go away. But you need help, granddaughter, the Baron's voice argued. How remarkable he looks, she thought, watching the projection of the Baron against her closed eyelids. I'm willing to help you. The Baron wheedled. The others in here would only fight to take over your entire consciousness. Any one of them would try to drive you off for me. I want only a little corner of my own. Again, the other lives within her lifted their clamor. The tide once more threatened to engulf her. She heard her mother's voice screeching. And Alia thought, She's not dead. Shut up! The Baron commanded. Alia felt her own desires reinforcing that command, making it felt throughout her awareness. Inner silence washed through her like a cool bath, and she felt her hammering heart begin slowing to its normal pace. Soothingly, the Baron's voice intruded. You see. Together we are invincible. You help me, and I help you. What? What do you want? She whispered. A pensive look came over the fat face against her closed eyelids. Ah, my darling granddaughter, he said. I wish only a few simple pleasures. Give me but an occasional moment of contact with your senses. No one else need ever know. Let me feel but a small corner of your life when, for example, you are enfolded in the arms of your lover. Is that not a small price to ask? Y yes Good, good. <laughs> the Baron chortled. In return, my darling granddaughter, I can serve you in many ways. I can advise you, help you with my counsel. You will be invincible within and without. You will sweep away all opposition. History will forget your brother and cherish you. The future will be yours. You... Won't let the, the others take over? They cannot stand against us. Singly we can be overcome, but together we command. I will demonstrate, listen. And the Baron fell silent, withdrawing his image 
his inner presence. Not one memory, face or voice, but the other lives intruded. Alia allowed herself a trembling sigh. Accompanying that sigh came a thought. It forced itself into her awareness as though it were her own, but she sensed silent voices behind it. The old baron was evil. He murdered your father. He would have killed you and Paul. He tried to and failed. The baron's voice came to her without a face. Of course I would have killed you. Don't you stand in my way. But that argument is ended. You've wanted, child. You're the new truth. She felt herself nodding and her cheek moved scratchingly against the harsh surface of the bench. His words were reasonable, she thought. A Bene Gesserit precept reinforced the reasonable character of his words. The purpose of argument is to change the nature of truth. Yes, that was the way the Bene Gesserit would have it. Precisely, the Baron said. And I am dead while you are alive. I have only a fragile existence. I'm a mere memory self within you. I'm yours to command. And how little I ask in return for the profound advice which is mine to deliver. What do you advise me to do now? She asked, testing. You're worried about the judgment you gave last night, he said. You wonder if Paimon's words were reported truthfully. Perhaps Javid saw in this Paimon a threat to his position of trust. Is that not the doubt which assails you? Yeah, yes. And your doubt is based on acute observation, is it not? Javid behaves with increasing intimacy toward your person. Even Duncan has noted it, hasn't he? You know, he has. Very well, then. Take Javid for your lover and... No! You worry about Duncan. But your husband is a mentat mystic. He cannot be touched or harmed by activities of the flesh. Have you not felt sometimes how distant he is from you? Uh, uh, but he... Duncan's mentat part would understand. Should he ever have need to know the device you employed in destroying Javid? Destroy? Certainly. Dangerous tools may be used, but they should be cast aside when they grow too dangerous. Then... Why should... I mean... Ah, you precious dunce. Because of the value contained in the lesson. I don't understand. Values, my dear grandchild, depend for their acceptance upon their success. Javid's obedience must be unconditional. His acceptance of your authority absolute and his. The morality of this lesson escapes. Don't be dense, grandchild. Morality must always be based on practice.
reality. Render unto Caesar and all that nonsense. A victory is useless unless it reflects your deepest wishes. Is it not true that you have admired Javid's manliness? Alia swallowed, hating the admission, but forced to it by her complete nakedness before the inner watcher. I yes. Good. <sighs> How jovial the words sounded within her head. Now we begin to understand each other. When you have him helpless then in your bed, convinced that you are his thrall, you will ask him about Paymon. Do it jokingly, a rich laugh between you. And when he admits the deception, you will slip a Chris knife between his ribs. Ah, the flow of blood can add so much to your sad. No, she whispered, her mouth dry with horror. No, no, no. Then I will do it for you, the Baron argued. It must be done, you admit that. If you but set up the conditions, I will assume temporary sway over- No! Your fear is so transparent, granddaughter. My sway of your senses cannot be else but temporary. There are others now who could mimic you to a perfection that- But you know this. With me, ah, people would spy out my presence immediately. You know the Fremen law for those possessed. You'd be slain out of hand, yes. Even you. And you know I did not want that to happen. I'll take care of Javid for you, and once it's done, I'll step aside. You need only... How is this good advice? It rids you of a dangerous tool. And, child, it sets up the working relationship between us. A relationship which can only teach you well about future judgments which... Teach me? Naturally. Alia put her hands over her eyes trying to think, knowing that any thought might be known to this presence within her, that a thought might originate within that presence be taken as her own. You worry yourself needlessly. The Baron wheedled. This payment fellow now was... What I did was wrong. I was tired and acted hastily. I should have sought confirmation of... You did right. Your judgments cannot be based on any such foolish abstract as that Atreides' notion of equality. That's what kept you sleepless, not Payman's death. You made a good decision. He was another dangerous tool. You acted to maintain order in your society. Now, there's a good reason for judgments. Not this justice nonsense. There's no such thing as equal justice anywhere. It's unsettling to a society you try to achieve such a false balance. Alia felt pressure at this defense of her judgment against Paimon, 
but shocked at the immoral concept behind the argument. Equal justice was an Atreides. Was. She took her hands from her eyes, but kept her eyes closed. All of your priestly judges should be admonished about this error. The Baron argued. Decisions must be weighed only as to their merit in maintaining an orderly society. Vast civilizations without number have floundered on the rocks of equal justice. Such foolishness destroys the natural hierarchies, which are far more important. Any individual takes on significance only in his relationship to your total society. Unless that society be ordered in logical steps, no one can find a place in it. Not the lowliest or the highest. Come, come, grandchild. You must be the stern mother of your people. It's your duty to maintain order. Everything Paul did was to... Your brother's dead. A failure. So are you. True, but with me, it was an accident beyond my designing. Come now, let us take care of this Javid, as I have outlined for you. She felt her body grow warm at the thought, spoke quickly. I must think about it. And she thought, if it's done, it'll be only to put Javid in his place. No need to kill him for that. And the fool might just give himself away in my bed. To whom do you talk, my lady? The voice asked. For a confused moment, Alia thought this another intrusion by those clamorous multitudes within. But recognition of the voice opened her eyes. Sayarenka Valifor, chief of Alia's guardian Amazons, stood beside the bench, a worried frown on her weathered feminine features. I speak to my inner voices, Alia said, sitting up on the bench. She felt refreshed, buoyed up by the silencing of that distracting inner clamor. Your inner voices, my lady, yes. Sayarenka's eyes glistened at this information. Everyone knew the Holy Alia drew upon inner resources available to no other person. Bring Javid to my quarters, Alia said. There's a serious matter I want to discuss with him. To your quarters, my lady. Yes, to my private chamber. As my lady commands. The guard turned to obey. One moment, Alia said. Has Master Idaho already gone to Sechtabur? Yes, my lady. He left before dawn as you instructed. Do you wish me to send for? No. I will manage this myself. And Zia. No one must know that Javid is being brought to me. Do it yourself. This is a very serious matter. The guard touched the Chris knife at her waist. My lady. Is there a threat to Yes, there's a threat. Javid may be at the heart of it. 
Oh, my lady, perhaps I should not bring Zia. Do you think me incapable of handling such a one? A lupine smile touched the guard's mouth. Forgive me, my lady. I will bring him to your private chamber at once, but with my lady's permission, I will mount guard outside your door. You only, Alia said. Yes, my lady, I go at once. Alia nodded to herself, watching Zayarenka's retreating back. Javid was not loved among her guards then, another mark against him. But he was still valuable, very valuable. He was her key to Jakarutu, and with that place, well, perhaps you were right, Baron. She whispered, You see. <laughs> the voice within her chortled. Ah, this will be a pleasant service to you, child. And it's only the beginning. These are illusions of popular history, which a successful religion must promote. Evil men never prosper. Only the brave deserve the fair. Honesty is the best policy. Actions speak louder than words. Virtue always triumphs. A good deed is its own reward. Any bad human can be reformed. Religious talismans protect one from demon possession. Only females understand the ancient mysteries. The rich are doomed to unhappiness. From the Instruction Manual, Missionaria Protectiva. I'm called Muris, Leathery Fremen said. He sat on a cavern rock in the glow of a spice lamp whose fluttering light revealed damp walls, dark holes, which were passages from this place. Sounds of dripping water could be heard down one of those passages and, although water sounds were essential to the Fremen paradise, the six bound men facing Muris took no pleasure from the rhythmic dripping. There was the musty smell of a death still in the chamber. A youth of perhaps fourteen standard years came out of the passage and stood at Muriz's left hand. An unsheathed crisp knife reflected pale yellow from the spice lamp as the youth lifted the blade and pointed it briefly at each of the bound men. With a gesture towards the youth, Muriz said, This is my son, Asan Tariq who is about to undergo his test of manhood. Muriz cleared his throat, <clears throat> stared once at each of the six captives. They sat in a loose semicircle across from him, tightly restrained with spice fiber ropes, which held their legs crossed, their hands behind them. The bindings terminated in a tight noose at each man's throat. Their still suits had been cut away at the neck, Bound men stared back at Maurice without flinching. Two of them were loose off-world garments, which marked them as wealthy residents of an Arakeen city. These two had skin which was smoother, wider than that of their companions, whose serif features 
bony frames marked them as desert-born. Their ease resembled the desert-dwellers, but his eyes were more deeply sunken, whiteless pits which not even the glow of the spice lamp touched. His son appeared an unformed copy of the man, with a flatness of face which did not quite hide the turmoil boiling within him. Among the cast out, we have a special test for manhood, Ares said. One day my son will be a judge in Shulok. We must know that he can act as he must. Our judges cannot forget Jakarutu and our day of despair. Kralizek, the typhoon struggle, lives in our hearts. It was all spoken with that flat intonation of ritual. One of the soft-featured city dwellers across from Yuri's stirred, said, You do wrong to threaten us and bind us captive. We came peacefully on Uma. Yuri's nodded. You came in search of a personal religious awakening. Good. You shall have that awakening. The soft-featured man said, If we... listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.